Welcome to Reach, your platform to connect with other executive assistants and acquire game-changing knowledge and perspective. Reach is designed to inspire your workday, guide you through pivotal moments in your career, and transform you into the executive assistant you've always wanted to be. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Reach. This is your host, Jessica Van. I'm the founder and CEO of Maven Recruiting Group. Today, I am so excited to welcome Taylor DeLorenzo to Reach. Hi, Taylor. Hello. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? You know, I'm living the dream. Today, I, we, as we were prepping, I, I've got a, you can't see it, but I've got a wide smile on my face and I'm excited to be here. Oh, I think we might not be able to see it, but we can definitely hear it. You can it. hear I can, it? I can <laughs> hear the grin. This is great. Well, um, you're you're nothing if not enthusiastic. That was definitely one of my enough, greatest yes. takeaways from meeting you the first time. So I'm, I'm really excited to have you on the program. It's going to be a great conversation. We'll be talking about how to really shore up your confidence in order to accelerate your executive assistant career, something that you have done incredibly effectively. So to give our listeners just a little bit um, of context on you and your career, Taylor is really the definition of an A-list performer and high achiever. She is an Ivy League graduate from Cornell. Her first EA role was supporting a founder Talk about hitting it out of the gates. Uh, Her next role, she served as the right hand to the CEO of publicly traded Shake Shack, uh, who hasn't eaten there, right? And then you leaped over to Twitter, where you supported the CMO and head of people and were quickly promoted to act as chief of staff there, driving strategic operations for the CMO. And perhaps most notably, you were selected as the executive assistant to step up and support the then CEO of Twitter. And keep in mind that there were 60 other executive assistants on staff at Twitter. So that really says an incredible amount about your abilities and value and the the confidence um, and and value you were able to project into the relationship to, to be eligible for that. So today we're excited to hear your story in your own words and also hear your thoughts on how to really shore up confidence and how to really accelerate your career, your abilities. Um, So for anybody who is intrigued and and wanting to kind of ascend to the next level, I think this will be a really, really illuminating conversation. There's no denying your ascent into what many would consider the quote-unquote red carpet of the EA world has has really been nothing less than meteoric, and you know as as I've had the pleasure of of doing of getting to know you a little bit and spending some time with you, um, it's really clear the confidence and the self assurance that that you project. So I'd love to understand for our listeners, you know, where does that confidence come from, and was there a defining moment in your life? that helped shape your maturity and self-confidence? First, I would just like that this, I need to, I'm going to listen to that recording the last two minutes. Anytime I'm feeling bad. Thank you for that. <laughs> pump up. And I just, my 25 year old self is like, 
rolling their eyes that someone would say these things about me. So thank you. I feel, you know, I, I feel very blessed to, ha- to have ended up in the positions I've ended up in and the opportunities that have presented themselves um, to me. And I think if I had to pick a specific time, you know, where specific moment where things shifted, I think it was when I accepted that I'm a career EA and I'm really good at this and I like this and this is a good career and it can be really, you know, challenging and you can grow a ton and it's far more than, you know, secretarial, which I think many EAs when we start, when we start our, this role, it feels like, oh, I'm just, you know, doing calendaring stuff. And, and I think, as I hope many of the listeners know and feel that like, no, 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 our execs couldn't do half of what they do without us. And this role is so much more important than just that kind of Mad Men era assistant, you know, vibe. And so I think that when I really decided, hey, I'm, this isn't a, you know, a stepping stone, which for some people it is, and that's totally fine. Um, But when I realized, you know, I love what I do and I want to do this for the rest of my career. And therefore, like, heck yeah, I'm an assistant, I'm an executive assistant, and I'm going to go do it to the best of my abilities and at the biggest places I can do it. I think that was a real shift for me in confidence that it wasn't like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just here for a little and oh, no, no, I'm going to go do something else after this. So I think that's kind of broad strokes one moment. But I think the other piece is like, I've been doing this for a long time. You know, they say it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert. I've been doing this for a whole lot longer than 10,000 hours. I've, I've been an executive assistant for, you know, the better part of a decade. And I think something that uh, a previous mentor said to me years ago that I think of quite often is, you know, whether you're supporting the CEO or, you know, a sales director, the core of your job is the same. It's calendar expenses, travel, it's greeting guests, it's ordering flowers for somebody, it's grabbing the occasional coffee, you know, that the core is the same. And so I think if you kind of think about it like that, whether you're early in your career, sure, supporting a director, you're still honing the skills that one day when you want to support a CEO that you're going to need. So I have, we've all scheduled as thousands of meetings, I've booked hundreds of flights, you know, all sent too many emails. And so I think if you think about it like that, I've been honing the skill set for a long time. And and it really is the basics. And when you feel like, oh, shoot, I could, you know, someone asks for calendar availability. Everybody listening to this call is like, oh, yeah, let's get some, you know, th- that's kind of innate. And you can do those things, things naturally. And, and you just get better at them and, and fit quicker and, and whatever that might be. So I think that's definitely a big piece of it. And I will say, I know that I'm on the lucky end that I have had, I've had some wonderful execs, truly amazing people who have looked out for my growth and been open to those conversations of, you know, hey, what do you want to do next? Really encouraging. And I I do want to acknowledge not everybody is as lucky as I have been to have those, you know, mentors and bosses that really care. Um, But that's a huge thing when your boss, you know, is, is putting you on things and saying, no, no, you can go do it when they have confidence in you. That really does a whole lot of good for for your own confidence. So I, I would love to give a shout out to all my former bosses who have been a huge, you know, uh, piece of, of my current confidence. Yeah. Well, and I, I want to bookmark that thought and, and return to it a little bit later in our conversation when we when we talk about kind of the, your perception among these executives coming from a, you know, a, a highly credentialed Ivy League background. I'm, I, I'd like to revisit that and hear from you um, as to how much you think that has influenced the way that you're perceived and, you know, the way that others 
the way that others view your capabilities. But let's but let's come back to that one because I, I think for sure, that for sure. yeah, um, I think that you you touched on something really really important, which is that all of this stuff, all this goodness, it really starts from a place of you first and foremost accepting. I guess recognizing number one who you are, and accepting that, and not in a in a way of feeling like oh this is a compromise or I've settled in some way or you know I guess this is you know this is what I'm doing with my life kind of thing, but actually embracing and accepting in in a in a in a really powerful um, sense who you are and and owning that, and I I think that's really really important because if people sense that you're sort of defeated about where you are in life, or this is just sort of, you know, kind of where you ended up versus seeing as your true conviction, right? Like that has a very big impact on how people view you and what you're capable of. It's huge. And I think, you know, and thank you for for kind of letting us double click on this, because I think I remember specifically early on in my career, I was like, I didn't go to college to become an assistant. Like, and it, and this like negative self-talk that really, you know, was, was not helpful. And I think, you know, I, then again, as I mentioned, I had some really wonderful bosses who said, who didn't treat me as such and said, Hey, jump in on this project, jump in on that project, that sort of stuff. And I realized, and again, hopefully that as listeners know, you know, this role can be so crucial to an organization if you know the, if that's the dynamic the exec is looking for and like that's awesome and i think also what i realized and why i love what i do is you know i was a 24 year old sitting in on executive team meetings or sitting in on a board meeting like in no other world are any of my peers doing stuff like that and so i really started to get like a heck yeah this is sick you know like and i'm good at it and like you and and i think when I really said, yeah, I'm going to, this is exactly like, uh, this is a career. I'm not just stuck here. I didn't just stumble into this and like, you know, and then laid down and took it, you know, it's just like, so, um, so that's a really big piece is like, I think to your point of, you know, accepting who you are, I accepted the things and understood the things that I'm good at. I like calendaring like i like color coding calendars and putting things mm-hmm. in organ organize them and and there is something about having one person you know kind of this you know subservient dynamic that like i actually love doing things for other people in my personal life and if so if i could get paid to do it and that's something that really motivates me you know that's the stuff that start i started to realize hey this that's cool i you know not everybody likes what they do and, and certainly the people who love what they do are very lucky. But, you know, if you can really bring your personal skill sets into your job, and if these are things that tick for you, that you are hyper-organized and think in calendar mode, like, heck yeah, do a job that lets you do that all day. Exactly. And that's where I think it, it really starts with just being honest with yourself, you know, just having having that kind of open, honest dialogue with yourself and not allowing the judgment of, whatever to invade that right so you know you went to cornell is this career what they're what they're priming you for and grooming you for maybe maybe not right but at the end of the day who cares because you've found the career that speaks to what your personal talents and your personal fulfillment your personal you know currency is and i think that that's 
That's, that's amazing because so many people never find that and they never figure out what they really enjoy doing. And they, and maybe they, they figure out what they enjoy doing, but they don't know how to equate that or translate that to an actual financially viable, yes, yes. you know, job and let alone like a six figure plus kind of a job, right? Like EAs at this level do very well for themselves. So I just, I think that that's a really important takeaway um, about that, that you've shared with everybody. And that would be my encouragement is that start, start with yourself, start with your own reflection. And can you, you know, are you at peace with who you are? Because if you're not like, you got to figure that one out first and foremost. That's just, first of all, how much time we got? Cause I have a lot of thoughts on that, but actually this is a little <laughs> plug that I, I, I don't know if it's appropriate, but I did it. There's a, it's a Japanese framework called Ikigai and it's I K I G A I. But it's the framework, it's, it's, if you Google it, you'll find that there's a Medium article that, that kind of walks you through it. But it's, it's basically about, you know, the intersection of what you're good at, what you can get paid for, what does the world need, you know, what, what are your skills? And it's a really empowering thing because I think, you know, especially for executive assistants and especially no matter where you are in your career, there, there's a lot of translatable skills that we have. Um, and I think again, you're like, oh, well, I could do this or it, I, maybe I should be doing I, this other thing that, you know, is more in line with some of the things my peers have done. And I think, it, I don't know, I just think it's a helpful kind of finding your purpose and finding things you like and are good at and just naturally do. Um, and I think a lot of successful EAs do naturally think and and kind of work this way. And that's not to say that if you're you grew up and you were terrible at scheduling and or you know calendar things and now you're great at them but that's not to say anything there but anyway that's a little plug take it or leave it but it, i think we got to be at work so like a minimum 40 hours a week and i know everybody's doing more than that and it's like that's so much of your life to do something that like isn't a little bit empowering or a little bit I wouldn't say fun because sometimes work isn't fun. I appreciate, but you know, that like, is just like, you're naturally good at, you're inclined to think this way. Like it, it isn't go, you're not going against the grain with every single action you take. Totally. There's gotta be alignment, you know? And I, I think back to, I don't know why this example is coming to my head right now, but I, I went to UC Berkeley. I graduated with a degree in economics and rhetoric, right? So two, two degrees, one was economics. What? Don't don't ask me why I, I studied economics. <laughs> yeah, it makes it, well. I, I'll tell you why I studied economics. I studied economics because I thought it was the responsible thing to do. Mm-hmm, I thought mm-hmm. it was um, would open doors for me. I thought it was sensible. I thought it was practical, and it never had any real alignment to how I thought. Um, what came intuitively to me, I struggled. I mean, I was in every single office hours. Like, I don't even know how I graduated, honestly. Like it was, I was fighting, I was fighting an uphill battle with myself and it was like, okay, well, this is, this is what I think I should be doing versus what am I intrinsically good at? And I think about like, you know, and I, and I remember graduating and I went on this, I mean, it was literally the most ridiculous interview I've ever had in my life. I I applied to be an analyst, which if anyone knows me knows that I would be like on the floor in like like I would be escorted out on my first day like it, it is, that is not a career for me and it was a humiliating experience going through the interview process because I I didn't know anything I didn't know how to answer anything I felt I felt ridiculous I felt like an imposter and oh. all this because I didn't know how to just kind of 
acknowledge what I was good at versus what I wasn't good at. And I was, I was trying to answer to, you know, all of these other standards that just really didn't apply to me. And so I think that like the earlier in your life, you can figure that one out, the the better off you are. Like, it's just, you know, it's, you don't want to be a fish out of water in your own life. It's uh, preach sister. It's so funny because I think (laughs) to what you just said, I mean, what you were 16, 17 deciding, yeah, I'll study economics. Like you don't know anything. You don't know what you want to be. And like, I really, you know, it, that's a whole thing. And frankly, I'm 30 something and, and just figuring this out. So I really, you know, it's a, and I think I did not to, not to, you know, gender stereotype, but I do think it is harder for women it, it, to, to sort that. And I think there is, and even more so, especially, you know, again, shout out to my male is out there, but I think the, as the, the, the kind of earlier career, you know, assessment that you're like oh I'm just an assistant like and it's so Mm -hmm. much more than that and I think like having that confidence and and I think you get that as you get more exposure to other assistants who are like killing it and doing cool stuff and and again the longer you're doing the thing the more exposure you get to all these things but I think having these reference points of like badass assistants that you know are like running the show and you're like oh whoa that's a big that's a big job that's a big deal i mean that was that was me you know years ago and and and, and the idea that you know i've i've managed to kind of inch towards that is it's like i, I could pitch myself you know you just see yeah. it's anyway so yeah awesome so having confidence in oneself and one's abilities um we've determined that's that's pretty key but i'm, I'm curious you know how does that serve you when you're in the room, and I know you've been in this room, with literally the highest echelon of business leadership and executives operating in our business climate economy today, period, right? Like we're talking the people that you read about daily, everywhere, um, whose names are just ubiquitous and synonymous with, you know, um, with heavy hitting decision-making in the business world. So how does, how do you need to show up in, in a room like that? And, you know, I'm, I'm curious about how your confidence in yourself and your acceptance of yourself has really played into your ability to hold your own in those types of situations. And, you know, if, if there's some specific examples that come to mind of, you know, maybe feeling intimidated or, you know, resolving that and and feeling really confident and comfortable in those situations i'd love if if you could maybe share some some color around that for sure for sure this is a big one i think and this is fun you know reflecting on this i think i kind of have two different buckets that i'd i'd put my approach to this in i think number one and this is kind of like a life approach but like everybody this especially one-on-one and it's different in group settings which i'll touch on in a second but i think like Everybody is someone's dad, mom, brother, friend, you know, son, daughter, like, and I think everybody's just a human. And mm-hmm. I think what I've found, especially for these execs, and especially for larger companies, and I think that varies, but you know, they're treated by most of the folks at the company as like this kind of like, weird celebrity. And, and I think, while that's certainly flattering, at some degree, I think, having someone who just treats them like a regular human, you know, um, is actually refreshing. And I think also it just, we're, we're both adult humans. Sure. You may be a few years older than me, whatever that is. But like, I think there's a real appreciation that execs have when you just kind of talk to them straight, 
you know, I remember when I met Danny Meyer for the first time um, when I was working at Shake Shack. And of course, it's Danny Meyer. Like I went to, I studied hospitality in school, like Danny Meyer is a big deal. And I remember meeting him and he was, he's, he is a lovely man. And I was just like, oh, this guy's just like a Midwestern dad. And he was just such a sweet, <laughs> kind guy. And, you know, mm -hmm. like, and sorry, Danny, he, he's, he's younger than my dad, but he's in the, he's in the range. Um, but, you know, I think I, that was certainly one of the bigger realizations I had that like, he's just a guy, you know, and like, when you start to act all awkward and whatever, and like, oh, celebrity sighting, like, that then ha leads them to have a less genuine interaction. And so that's definitely an approach of mine. And I can tell you, you know, 15 more examples when I've met, you know, quote, unquote, you know, like impressive people. And I, I don't mean to, to, you know, discount that. But I think like, that kind of disarms people, especially people, you know, like Jack Dorsey, who of course is like a, a big deal, but like, he's just a dude. And, you know, and, and I think he appreciated as, as well as some other execs, like just like being treated like a dude. Um, so that's kind of one point that I think just like everybody's a human and they go home to their husbands and wives and families and they're just treated like a regular person. And so reminding yourself that like, we're all, we're all humans just trying to get through the day. Um, so that's, that's kind of the one-on-one -on -one interactions and the approach I take on that. Quite differently, but also important is, yeah, in the group setting. I mean, for my entire career and probably for the next period of time, I am forever the youngest person in the room. I am certainly the most junior person in the room. And I think there's an important piece where you need to, you do need to know your place in, in a kind of an executive team meeting and certainly in a board meeting setting. You know, there are certain rooms or, you know, or meetings or conversations that you are welcome and, and it, your opinion or input is, is appropriate and asked for. I think in executive team meetings, that is not the time typically. And again, I don't, I don't mean to speak broadly, but I think that, you know, knowing your role in a, in a meeting such as that is like, I'm here to listen. Mm -hmm. I'm here to take notes, probably take action items, keep the conversation moving, making sure we're on time. Like it is a very tactical role you're playing. And so I think, you know, a couple other pieces. One is that, especially in the the day, the age of Zoom, like your face, you know, like you have, you want to be as professional, as composed, stoic almost, you know, you're going to hear some stuff that is surprising, that is bad news, that is, you know, super confidential. And like, acting as if that doesn't phase you because even if it does like you that that is showing that like you are a professional you're not gonna you're you know you know how to keep confidentiality kind of all that sort of stuff um and so I think that it's two kind of very different <laughs> different approaches but like knowing your role and yeah my role is like I'm here to keep the conversation moving and I'm happy to do that and half this stuff is going over my head because they're talking about engineering yada yada and that's not my realm I Definitely agree with your first bit of advice, which is humanize the executive. And I think that it might sound obvious, and, I, and yet I don't think it is. I think that being able to do that effectively is really essential to, as you said, you know, how genuine that interaction is. And that's not a small feat, you know, and people kind of have built these people up to these just epic proportions, like these oh, godlike yeah. figures. Yeah. I mean, it's like, geez, Louise, you know, how do you, how do you unpack that? But I, I, I know from having met so many executive assistants over the years who've supported really, really, really 
you know, high profile individuals. I think that the, the source of their success is exactly that. It's the fact that they can be, you know, they can travel with them, they can hang, they can, um, you know, be in a hotel room, cranking, working on talking points until late in the night and can be in the same space, they can coexist, that there's not this, this pretense. So I think totally. that's a really, really important thing. And in fact, we, we have a um, shameless plug here, but we have our, our second um, e-course. We talk about, you know, what, it, what is the source and, the, and the, how do you really form an effective and strategic partnership? And one of the very first things we talk about is exactly that, which is that get to know your executive and in a really honest way, and that means, you know, humanizing them, understanding their vulnerabilities, not being intimidated, right? And I think that not being intimidated goes hand in hand with humanizing them. Because when you realize that we all are subject to our frustrations, our insecurities, our vulnerabilities, I mean, you don't think somebody that's running a multi-billion dollar organization that has the pressure of the entire world on their shoulders doesn't have vulnerable, insecure moments? Like, of, of course they do, you Absolutely. know? Like. It, it's so, and, and, it, and I think to, I'm curious, I actually am excited to, to see that course. Cause I think like, how do you do that from the jump? I think it's difficult and some execs are super closed and that's okay too. You know, like I, I, that doesn't mean you can't slowly get to know them or like, so, you know, and, and I think part of it is also your interaction with them and others witnessing you have this like comfortable, casual interaction, both makes your exec appear more approachable and is really typically most execs want to want to appear that way, though I, I'm sure there are some that don't. Um, and it also just allows others to feel more comfortable. And I think that's kind of been my experience of execs want to be a, want, don't want people to be intimidated and awkward, like they're getting their lunch and, and people are, you know, staring at them, not trying to interact, you know, those sorts of things, which I'm sure we've all witnessed. So um, I, I think that's a, that is an, a, a big piece to kind of all success. So how did you equip yourself at such an early, you know, age, right? And an early point in your career to be the person in the room? How did you know how to behave? How did you know how to show up, when to speak, when not to speak, when to interject? I mean, you, you effectively went from college graduate to supporting a founder. I mean, like, like where was the middle ground for you? Like there really wasn't, right? Like it was a pretty, it was a pretty meteoric step. And so I'm, I'd really love to understand. And obviously, I mean, clearly a lot of this has to do with your own EQ, your own intellect, your own ability to, to really read the cues and interpret totally. things, right? Um, and, and be able to abstract, right? And, and kind of figure things out. But to the extent that you can kind of crystallize that for people, how, how, did you, how did you equip yourself and become so effective so quickly with so little experience under your belt at that point? You know, I think, first of all, I think part of it is trial and error, was trial and error. I, I'm certain I misstepped and, you know, I was what, I was 21 years old, like working with this founder. He had never really had a, a role like this before. So I think we both were kind of like learning as we went. Um, and I think there was a bit of, you know, he, I like, he j found it endearing that I was so new and, and green. Um, and so was a lot more patient with me and, 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 and answered my questions and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. I think to some degree, it is just a natural, I think, 
you know, I studied hospitality in college and I say that I did that. I mean, I do love all, you know, food and food and beverage and all those sorts of things, but I, I did that because I love people. And I, that was what drew me to, to study hospitality. And so I think that initially it was just, I, I know how to read people and I, I've, I, and, uh, you know, establishing relationships. It was a small company. And I think that's another way I really got things done was like, I had relationships with most of the team. And so if my boss asked me to do something that I had absolutely no idea what to do, I had, you know, five people I could go and be like, how do I do this? What do I do? You know, and, and, and that still remains the case today. You know, I, throughout all of my roles, having people, you know, relationships often with your execs directs and also just other key team members, like that's how you get things done. And that's how, especially when you're early on, you know, joining a company and getting your footing, like you got to have somebody who's, who's not your boss to like, go ask questions. You're, you're either too embarrassed to ask your boss or your boss thinks, you know, um, and so I think it was a lot of that. I relied on my relationships to kind of help move things along. And, and frankly, I might've said this earlier, but so much of it, it's not rocket science. Being an executive assistant, you know, is not rocket science. I think at least at its core. And so I think I got, I was really focused on just the core and I had done some, some smaller projects and that sort of thing, but you know, it was, it was just like, okay, make sure, you know, everything's lining up. Okay. We're ticking and tying, you know, and it was like triple checking everything. And I lived in a life of paranoia, I'm sure. Um, but you know, again, once you do something X amount of time, you, you have more confidence in it. And I think what might be more interesting is, is when I got to Shake Shack, again, I was blessed to have the CEO of Shake Shack is still a mentor and friend and just a mm. wonderful man. Um, his name is Randy Garudi. Um, but he really, he put me in the position to, he wasn't going to let me just schedule and like that be that. And so he kind of threw me in and was like, we need your help. You need to help with X, Y, Z, like go forth. Um, and it was kind of like, okay, I guess I, you think I have the skills to do this. I mm -hmm. guess I kind of do and I'll figure it out. So I think that, and I, I, I don't want to, I, I, I don't want to underemphasize, but I also don't want to, you know, overemphasize the fact that that having wonderful you know bosses and execs is really meaningful because I do know I've I know of plenty you know folks who who have not had that same experience but I think that you know even as as we were talking earlier like your fit with your exec and that dynamic is like so important to be able to like be successful and also and not be miserable, you know, every day is you really, you know, just have yeah. that human alignment with, with this person. Yeah. I mean, and honestly, we could do a whole other episode about how to sniff out <laughs> whether that potential for that fit is, is there or not. Um, because I do think it's like, there's a sixth, That's sixth huge. right. There's a sixth sense to, to really being able to sense if that person is going to enhance your enhance you and be supportive of, of of exactly the things that you're describing or if they're going to be a little bit more uh, limiting in terms of how they perceive yes. you <clears throat> and sometimes you don't know right and sometimes it's trial and error but I think if you can hone in on how to ascertain that what questions to ask do you, do you have any just kind of immediate thoughts that come to mind on that front 
I, I do. I think it's huge. And it's, I think there's something, it's so tough nowadays because like so many things are done over Zoom. And I do think that like you must meet your exec in person unless it's like absolutely impossible. I, you know, that, that being in the same room with that person and really feeling that energy, at least that's how I work, but that's huge. I think another piece of advice I would say is like, you have to meet other people who work with them. Um, because I, I've definitely been through processes, you know, that you're only meeting the exec and the recruiter and you're like, okay, but what, let's get some more information about this person. And something I always liked, I ask a lot of personal questions, which may be off-putting to some, but, you know, I ask questions like, you know, if they, if I know they have kids, I'm like, who are you as a dad? Who are you as a husband or a mom and a wife? Like, I, I, I that's important to me. Like personal values are really important to me. Um, and alignment of personal values with my exec is, is a, a major thing I push for. And so just really, and, and that, and some execs may be like, yo, you do not need to know that. And I think that tells me like, okay, well then we probably won't get, a, get along. Um, mm-hmm. But I really like to understand like who they are outside of work because, you know, this job is, is not, as everybody knows, a nine to five by any means. And it does get, it. there are weekends and nights and all these sorts of things that you're, you know, thinking about your exec and, if this person isn't a good person or, and then that's a kind of subjective, but you know, if, if this person isn't aligned to your personal values or is making mm-hmm. decisions in their personal life that feel like kind of icky to you or whatever, then like, that's a really hard thing to show up to work and be pumped to, to do stuff for them. So, um, right. so I would say, don't be scared to ask personal questions. And frankly, like you should ask personal questions um, of your exec. Cause I think that if you're just sticking to like, well, how do you like your schedule? And, you know, mm-hmm. what's your preferred type of communication? Sure, those are important. But if this person ends up, you know, never seeing their kids and, and you know, whatever, and that, that really doesn't stick with you, then that, that's a tough person to support. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, we recently had um, China Clayton on our program. She was Michelle Obama's assistant for about yes. 11, 11, 12 years. And she told a really great story about screwing up <laughs> and, you know, oh making, making mistakes and kind of those, you know, egg on your face moments, which I think are, especially in the, in the beginning of your career. I mean, they're, they're, they're inevitable. Right. Um, and I, I think they're also very humanizing. And I think it's also really wonderful and liberating to know that people as accomplished as China who can support Michelle Obama, you know, guess what? She's not infallible. And, you know, she, she hasn't made a mistake, right. And, and she corrected it and she rectified it. So, um, it'd be interesting. And you mentioned, you know, that, that you and your first founder were learning together, right. And that, that there was a, an element of you guys kind of learning alongside one another and him maybe being a little bit more showing you a little bit more clemency because he was also learning and you yes, were learning. Yes. And so maybe you could talk to us a little bit about some of those egg on your face moments or, you know, growing moments, especially as you made that leap, right. Going from LDV to being the right hand to the CEO of Shake Shack. Like what, what were some of those humanizing moments that, that oh, gosh. maybe as you look back, you go, God, I wouldn't have done it that way again, knowing what I know I today, like, I, my body would have done it differently. Yes. I have a few that are coming to mind right now. What I will say, actually, this is like a quick tidbit because it's funny now in hindsight, but it was so not funny at the time. I 
I was doing a for my first boss, I was doing like a handful of like personal stuff and work stuff and like scanning documents. I sent my boss's entire tax return, personal oh, no. tax return to the wrong group of people. It was mm. not okay. Mm -hmm. it, so stuff like that. And like, I, right. I mean, I was horrified and he was again, so gave me so much grace. I was immediately, I mean, I called him immediately as soon as I realized and I was mortified. Um, and he was like, it's, it is what, it, you know, like and it, well, there wasn't much to do at that point. And he was laughing, but I was like hysterically crying. So that right. again, two things, always slow down, always check your attachments. I never, now yeah. I'm like, <laughs> that's anyway. And I think, so let me see when we actually, this happened later on, um, in, in my role at Shake Shack, but I totally botched dates. I had, my boss was supposed to be in Japan for a, a shack opening and the plan was he was going to go there and then he was going to fly to San Francisco for a board meeting he had, um, an external board meeting he had. And so like we, the whole team, you know, we, tons of press and all these plans, um, were made around his trip to, to Japan and like everything was set up. The opening was kind of a, was, you know, fashioned around his availability and, and all this stuff. And then the week before, I mean, he's leaving like Tuesday and this is Friday night. We realized, uh, he realized, which is even worse that I got the dates <laughs> wrong for the board meeting. <laughs> and I was horrified. I mean, and again, wonderful man, like gave me more grace than I deserved. Um, but it was like, I mean, I, I, I feel the terror that, I, that right now, cause it was just like, you can't miss stuff like that. And that's just, I think those are the worst mistakes where they're like, this is so dumb. Like I just, I, I shouldn't have missed that. That's, you know, and basically what had happened is like, they gave us the set of dates for, you know, whatever it was, you know, 2019 and, and 2018 side by side. And I, sh I put the wrong dates basically for the board meeting from the for the next year yada yada but it just was like careless mistakes are almost the worst because like everybody knows you know better um and I think that's if I later on I, I, I know you're gonna ask me about you know piece of advice but this is one that I still need to be reminded and that my mentor uh always tells me which is just slow down and like double like and and especially with big trips and that sort of stuff like just there's always a lot on our plates and like it's there's always more you can do but at the I mean I was oh I still am upset that this happened even yeah yeah no I can hear it and again my my boss is like basically and and you know then I called our you know the our guy who who was the the head of international um shacks at the time and like you know he was wonderful and this is back to the relationship point like i have relationships with all everybody and i and i called him and i was like i messed up like how what do we do and so that he he was again uh, michael Clark. He, he came in and in and you know shifted some stuff and randy had a brute i mean it turned out to be really tough for randy because obviously he it, it was just a condensed schedule and then he had to go show up at a two-day board meeting and 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 it and it we made it work but it was it wasn't great for sure and 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 that's the stuff that like first of all you absolutely immediately own it like you're like i i totally there's no and even even if it's only like half your fault you eat it because like there's nothing the response that your exec or whoever is, is going to be the most pissed at is if you immediately try to say it's not your fault like that's not helping any situation so 
oh gosh. I, and then, you know, yeah. there was another, I don't know if you're looking for 16 different times I messed up, <laughs> um, but I found one. Anyway, I, it just, I think it's, it is humbling and it's so, and I think the worst ones are like when you, you know better and then you just yeah. beat yourself up because you're like, ah, oh, dang it. Like this. Right. And you, and you like think back to but the moment that you made the, the error. Sure. And here's the beautiful thing is that you're human, just like your executives are human. You successfully continued in your career in each of those roles where you had, you know, a quote unquote blunder, right? Um, he, Randy is still, as you said earlier, is still a friend and mentor today. Yeah, yeah. So it's all, and you still, you know, went on to support the CEO of Twitter. So, hey, you know, touche, right? But, but my point is like, it's, it's the recovery. It's how you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's how you recover from the mistake. And what's really clear in, 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 in listening to you and, and listening to China as well, it's very similar was the ownership. Own it, own it, own it, own it, own it, own it immediately. Don't make excuses for yourself. You know, demonstrate that you understand the gravity of, of the situation, the consequence, like, own it. And I I think that that's a really important thing. And not everybody is capable of that. And I think that the ones who own it are the ones who recover and, and, you know, go on and and have uh, relatively minor hiccups in in, in the relationship, right? But if you don't, you're, you're just, you're, you're destined for doom. Well, and I think that like, that's execs, often I think are like, okay, stuff happens, like fix it, figure out a way to fix it. Unless you're like working for like Devil Wears Prada type stuff, which like even still they're like, I don't care what you do, just fix it. And mm-hmm. I think that's, it. it's just, we are all human. And and luckily, unless someone who's listening is like working in like the emergency room, you know, or something, we're not right. like saving right. lives. And yes, it can be a total disruption and like not great, but most of these like errors are, fixable in some way and in a couple days or a week will be like long forgotten about because there will be other fires um mm-hmm. but that doesn't that certainly I, it's funny how much like internal dread i'm having remembering that, that specific but but that, that the more. fact that your skin is crawling right now also says how much you care and how much pride you take and you know you wouldn't be as ashamed and embarrassed if you didn't put so much on totally. your performance and you know take your role as seriously as you do. And that's also indicative of why you know you've had this this kind of ascent and and the kind of career that you've had is because this is, you know, you are putting your name on this and it's evident that you take that seriously. Very much so, yeah. So, changing gears a little bit here, I'm I'm curious about kind of the backstory of how you took your position at Twitter from EA to CMO to strategy and operations manager. Like how, mm-hmm. how did that transition happen? And how did you kind of, I guess, how did that transition happen? And, and, and you know, to what extent were you, did you position yourself for that? Or was that, you know, how did it come about? So I supported Leslie, our CMO for, about two years in an EA capacity um, before that transition happened. And, you know, 
pretty quickly. You know, we, we, I always say it takes, you know, six months to 12 months, really 12 months to really get into a groove with your exec and where things are, are kind of flowing seamlessly. And so, you know, after kind of, let's call it that 12 month mark, you know, I was really jumping into other projects for her, you know, taking, taking meetings on her behalf, kind of fact channeling, getting things done. It was, Twitter was always a little chaotic. So, you know, hands in many places running around, kind of just making sure connect, always connecting dots. And so I was fortunate enough to, yeah, be really involved in kind of all the items that our CMO was working on. And, and again, we, I have been blessed with really wonderful execs and, and we had had kind of continuous over my, you know, those two years conversations about, you know, my, my personal growth, my career growth, you know, I, she knew that I wasn't, marketing wasn't necessarily like my passion and I, I was learning for sure and grateful for that. But it, it, you know, my, that my ultimate goal was to support a CEO. And so, you know, I think it must've been at a review time that we kind of had a conversation and she said, Hey, let's talk about this. Like, how do, how do we get you to level up? Um, and ultimately said, let's bring on a, a junior EA to take on kind of the more administrative, you know, the calendar expenses, uh, travel, and let's push you into kind of this more strategic, strategic role, um, running more of the projects, still kind of train conducting all of her stuff, as well as kind of overseeing this, the, the more junior admin. Mm-hmm. And so it really was like, she was pushing me to do it because I am someone who like loves to be comfortable um, and would have stayed supporting her for, for years, truly. Um, and so she, I definitely hemmed and hawed about it when, until finally she was like, we're doing this. You're not, you know, like you, you gotta, and again, this is not, everybody has wonderful execs who push them and, you know, and, and advocate for them and, and all that. And so I feel very lucky. Um, and so she kind of kicked me out of the role and said, we're doing this. And we, and we brought in, um, we had someone on the, Twitter admin team who stepped in um, to support her kind of in, in, in more of the basic calendar expenses travel. Um, and I stepped into the this strategy and ops, which I'm sure, you know, many companies have some similar type role um, to just kind of be this Swiss army knife for her, just kind of across all her, all of her domains and just kind of help out it more deeply in projects and kind of own things more. So again, I, I, feel very blessed that I was in a position, you know, and then supported by my exec that, you know, she pushed for, for that growth. And I learned a ton, you know, budgeting, uh, you know, year end plan or, you know, next year planning, I got to do some HR stuff. I got to, you know, jump in and help out with the comms team. Like there was just like a lot of experiences I wouldn't have gotten if I was still running kind of Leslie's day to day, which was very time consuming. Um, and I think the irony of that was when I, you know, soon after I was officially kicked kicked out of the EA role, um, I realized how much I love the calendar piece of it and how how I believe like everything is of the execs prioritization and how they spend their time and their headspace is all managed by how the calendar is run. And so I I was glad to have be getting all these new experiences, but I knew that the job that I took after this one was going to be back in the EA realm because mm-hmm. I just, because back to our, you know, our first point, I love that stuff and I'm good at it. And I, and I, and there's a, you know, a control about it that I really like mm-hmm. too. And so the, the, yeah. the real short well, answer on this, oh, go ahead. I, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, I think that, that that statement is all the more powerful Taylor because you've tried other things, right? So saying I love being an EA 
And oh, by the way, I've had the opportunity to do different things and this is what I want to do. I, I think that makes it that much more compelling, you know, because it's not just sort of um, where you've fallen into, but it's, it's, you're there by choice. Totally. And thank you for saying it that way, because that's way more nicely painted than I probably would have would have outlined to myself. I think that's a big a big piece of it for sure is is I think a lot of admins want to do this kind of like the idea of like, oh, I'm going to go become chief of staff. I think that's like a big a typical like, you know, stepping point that many mm-hmm. admins you know want to aspire to. And I think that it seems shinier than it is. I think, you know, project based stuff and all that is good. And you can do that as an admin. And, you know, we, we've talked about the idea of you picture like a Venn diagram on one side, it's admin work. And on the other side, it's like chief of staff work. And in mm-hmm. the middle is this kind of like so EA whole, plus. A whole lot of crossover. Yep. <laughs> and I, exactly. and I think that's really, that's the place I like to live. And I think actually a lot of admins who think they want to do kind of these bigger meteor you want to be a chief of staff one day may actually find that they're they're really just looking for kind of ea plus stuff and there's there's so mm-hmm. much impact to be had there um and yeah and it's and and you get to do yeah. the stuff that you're good at and like and all that i totally understand your your point i think there is a lot of overlap there and in fact that 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 very venn diagram is one that we we put in our course because it's there's kind of this there's a lot of common ground between those those spheres. So um, anyway, so, okay, I'm going to come back to the thing that I said I was going to come back to earlier on, which is I'd love to hear to what extent do you think your Ivy League degree has opened doors for you as an executive assistant or helped support this career growth that we've been talking about? And I, I, I want to... I really want to explore this, particularly for those EAs who don't have an Ivy League degree, or you know, maybe uh, maybe they do, maybe they don't, maybe they don't have a college degree at all, right? I mean, I think that what's interesting about the EA career is that there are a lot of different educational and life backgrounds that Absolutely. can lead that can lead to a very successful career in this space. Yes. So I, I think it would be really interesting as somebody like yourself who has that Ivy League degree, I'd love to understand how do you think that's weighed into how people perceive you? And you know, if that gives you any cr- immediate credibility when you walk into this room of you know, these people that we've talked about, right? Does that give you an advantage at all? Does, has that given you an advantage in your career? Totally. I think it's funny. I, I think if I had to answer this in one question, I think the answer is no. I think I maybe earlier on, you know, my first job out of school, I don't even think Parag knows where I went to college. Like, I, you know, I, I don't, I actually don't, I think, again, I'm in my thirties. Like, I, I think it becomes less and less important as you, as you get older. I think part of it is so much of it is more that like, your network. And so like I have had, you know, my network from college has opened doors for me and, and, and made connections with me that, that, you know, um, that have put me in positions to get, get roles. For example, Randy, my C- the CEO at Shake Shack also went to, um, went to the Cornell hotel school that I went to. And so like, there was some, some dot connecting there, but I don't necessarily, but frankly, again, that was my like second job out of college. So I, th- I think later in life, 
nobody really cares. At least that's my experience. Like right now, the most impressive thing on my resume is that I, I you know, supported the, the CEO at Twitter. And so that's job based. And frankly, that role, you know, I, I was able to get because like, I had already been working there and like, and I had, it was the perception of me from the work I did while I was at Twitter and while I was with Leslie. Um, yeah. I don't even think Prague's ever seen my resume. Like he has no idea what I, what I did before, before I supported Leslie. <laughs> um, and so I think again, it seems way shinier. And I think especially for, for younger admins and younger people right out of college, like that feels so important, but I really, my honest answer is like, even when I'm looking at resumes, you know, for considering other roles, like, I think it can mean something if you want it to mean something, but it really like, it's so much more about how you show up in your interview. It's, it's so much more about like, like we, we had this program at Twitter um, that was started in the last couple of years called like a generalist program. And it was basically, we found folks who had no prior admin experience and it was basically, you know, folks who were in a lot of them in hospitality, cause that's a very relevant, you know, and dealing with people and coordinating schedules and that sort of thing. Um, and saying like, let's, let me teach you the basics. Like it's not rocket science to do this job. And it's, so I, I don't, I did not need to go to Cornell to, to learn how to do what I'm doing today. And frankly, like, I honestly think I don't remember half the things I actually, you talked about your econ class earlier. Mm. Econ was my hardest class. So, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and, and I hope that feels good to, for people to hear because like, it just is so much more about how you show up and like the actual work that you do than like what your resume reads. I think the tough part is, is like jobs, especially now in this current like economy and stuff like there's, it's always helpful to like know someone who works there or know someone who knows someone like that is, that is a very real thing about the, the current job market and how it all works. But, and yes, your, your network is related to that. But I, I, for me to show up, you know, in these exact meetings with confidence, where I went to college is, is nowhere on my, yeah. uh, on my radar. It's more like I did this for so-and-so and I was, you know, it's more my past job experiences. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's really helpful for people to hear because I, I do think that that can be an insecurity for people. Um, I mean, I, I remember having a conversation very recently with a candidate who was saying, well, you know, I never finished college because I, you know, I, I got married and I had kids and I got on this, you know, career path and this and that. And do you think that's going to negatively impact me and my job search? And I was like, well, yeah, if you have that attitude about it, exactly, it's, definitely, exactly. it's definitely going to. So again, like the very first thing that we started talking about, when we started this conversation was about owning who you are and not yes. apologizing for who you are what you like, what you don't like, what you're good at, what you're not good at, like whatever it is, what it is, it's who you are. And it's what you, it's the spin and how much, how much, uh, what is the word I'm looking for? How much kind of emphasis or weight you allow that to carry in, in, in how, who you are. It's your story. How do you tell your story? And I can tell 100%, 100%. you, I know a lot of executive assistants who are, many of whom have been on this program, some of whom haven't, but many of them that are operating at the highest levels of support. And when I say highest levels, I'm talking household name brand. You say this executive's name, you know exactly who they are. People that support those types of people, a lot of whom either don't have a college degree and or have a college degree from 
not a university that, that necessarily carries a whole lot of weight. And they've been able to rise to the top of their game. And there's also examples like yourself and others that I can think of who did get top-notch degrees and have also done very well for themselves. But I don't think that that fact in and of itself is the predetermining factor it, yeah. for your success. And no shade to, to, I had a great college experience and all that good stuff. But like, I, a hundred percent, this job is so much more about, it's everything I learned in college, I don't use. <laughs> like, let's just call it what it is. <laughs> it's so much more about like, that's everything, but you know, it's so much more about the context you're gathering and like how good you are at connecting dots. And that is just like, mm-hmm. this, this job is such a human centric job. And frankly, you learn a lot more about that in in the real in real life than anything else. And one other piece yeah. I wanted to touch on, kind of to your point of like owning your narrative and owning your wh- where you're at, like in interviews and stuff. That's what people. That's refreshing for you to be like, for you to be honest. Honesty is the only thing you got. So like trying to like wrap something in a fake package and like because you're insecure about it or whatever that comes across very clearly in interviews like Mm -hmm. own it you're here you're you're like you got the interviews so there's something you got yourself in the door so like you don't need to I think having confidence exactly what you've been saying like having confidence in like yeah this is me this has been my you know story thus far I'm still writing the rest of it and like here here it is yeah. And also, yes, to what you just said, you got yourself in the door. Like, hello, they already agreed to give you the time. So so don't use don't, your yeah, time exactly. to apologize for who you are. Like, yes, use yes, your time yes. to explain your value. So yeah, also, very well said, yes. Taylor. We've been touching on this throughout this conversation, but just to kind of sum it up, and if there's any other tidbits that you have for, for our listeners, Taylor, what advice do you have for for our listeners who want to shore up their confidence and they want to reach for greater heights within their own EA careers? What can you tell them? What 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 recommendations do you have? So I've probably covered any of the things I'm gonna say, but I'll I'll at least put them here in, in kind of more succinct points. I think the first thing is as I've said, like honing the basics, no matter what level you're at. You need to be excellent at the calendar and you need to have, and whatever that means for your exec, whatever that means for you specifically, a style you like to put it in, just consistency and like those sorts of things are very important. And again, that's at every level. And so like, as soon as that becomes like a second nature to you, that's excellent because then when you get to the C-suite, those things don't cause you stress because you've already gotten it. You've already done it a million times. And so that's calendar, that's travel, that's expenses. Everybody hates expenses. That never gets better. Um, but Shout out to Expensify, maybe? Yeah, I really yeah. is. That never gets better. Um, but I think that don't – I think a lot of admins – are hungry for projects and the exciting stuff and then kind of phone in the basics. And I think that's a very big mistake because your exec at their core, like if their calendar is not how they want it, they don't, everything else doesn't matter. You could be killing it at projects, but if their calendar isn't tight, like that's the core of your job. And so kill the basics. That's the point. Number one, I think another piece, which is, is like a bit of a, um, a Danny Meyerism, but it's, always be connecting dots. Like every conversation you have, every meeting you sit in on, you're listening out to connect dots to another conversation, to follow up with your exec, you're taking notes. It just makes you better. The more context you have 
of the organization, of what's going on, of the people helps you be better at your job and helps you support your exec better. And so that's just always listening, always, you know, it's a bit of context switching, but just always ear on the ground for, for something that is relevant to another conversation you listened in on. And, and those are the things that make you valuable when you say, oh, you know, actually yesterday you mentioned X, Y, Z. And I just, anyway, you get the point there. Um, let's see what else I think. I mentioned this earlier, but, you know, having good relationships with your execs directs is really valuable. And that's both personal relationships, just like getting to know them. Okay, so-and-so has this, you know, two kids and whatever, you know, those sorts of personal information that are helpful um, to just get to know them. Because one, them having trust in you is huge. Um and you being able to help your exec get things done because you already have that rapport. So invest the time in, in getting, in making relationships with them. And I appreciate that, you know, in the zoom, you know, virtual world, it's, it's definitely takes more effort, but I would schedule, you know, especially as your first, if you're first joining in a company, like schedule time with every, all of the direct reports, you know, ask them about themselves personally, ask them about what they do, ask them how you can help them you know, and how, you know, the gaps they think your boss has, that sort of stuff. Like you should be seen as a, a core confidant of them to get things done as well. So that's a big one. That I think some people feel like, oh, that's not my place or like, oh, they don't want to talk to me. Like, no, 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 they do. And they know if, if you're good at your job, they know that like going to you gets things done faster sometimes than them going to your, your exec. Um, mm -hmm. And then I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'll keep going. I don't know how long you, I don't know how long you've got for this, but um <laughs> I, I think I mentioned this earlier and slow down, you know, I have many of my mistakes that I've made in the last years have been because I'm moving too fast. And because we always have six things in the air and there's always urgency and it's always hurry, hurry, hurry. And there are times where if you take even just like a five second pause to just take a breath and like understand where your priorities are, you won't make some of these stupid mistakes or like you mm -hmm. send an email and you're like, oh my gosh, I said the wrong time or, oh, I hit reply all or just these like little things. So it's a slow down. We're not saving mm -hmm. lives. Mm -hmm. It will get done. And it's better for you to come across collected and like your thoughts are succinct and you're organized and you send one email rather than three follow-ups. That's a way better look, even if it takes 30 more minutes for you to do. Um, than you sending five emails in succession, you know, because you forgot something that's so, um, and then I have one more, if, if, if you'll allow me, um, yeah, we want all of it. And I, <laughs> I, I, I think something that I think is kind of understated is that like a very big portion of our job is communication and communications and that's written communications and whether that's an email or even as again, hybrid world means that it's definitely, you know, in some digital form or in person. And, and that every single interaction you have with someone directly reflects your boss. And that's a lot of weight. And it's, but you do need to be really mindful. You know, when I had a former mentor of mine say, imagine every single email you write will end up in like on the front page of the newspaper or in the board, in your board members inbox. And that changes the way you write things. Um, and even if that's, it's just, therefore you want everything to be super tight and thoughtful and you're not sending flippant remarks or you're not sending misspellings or those sorts of things. And so I think being mindful of, of, yeah, how you're communicating. Um, 
and and because it is so important and again taking five extra minutes to write that email actually is worth it than you coming across as kind of you know speedy and 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 disorganized mm-hmm. okay i'm done i think now <laughs> yeah no but it's all so wise and also on point i have a final question for you and it is our question that we ask of everyone which is if you could support anyone in the world, this could be throughout the course of history and time, who would you choose to support and why? Okay. I have to tell you, I've been like spiraling about this question because (laughs) since I read it, because it's so, and it's, and it's actually funny you brought up China earlier because like I, Michelle Obama was definitely on my list of like, Mm -hmm. again, just powerhouse humans i think mm-hmm. again i i was i was going through i was i was racking my brain thinking about this because i think there's so many people that are so inspiring and so fascinating and you know people like steve jobs warren buffett like really cool titans that mm-hmm. i think would be again fascinating to support i think where where i've landed which is not too far from michelle is is if i could support like the pre-2008 election barack obama like in Chicago and hit the mm. presidential campaign. I think that would be mm-hmm. fascinating because it's, I've always been interested in politics. It's gotten way uglier lately, which I, you know, is all I'll say about that. But I think I've, you know, I have a general sense and then not that's by no means all encompassing, but of, you know, what, what the business world, especially like the tech business world looks like and, and kind of how it moves. And so I think politics is would be a totally new realm and I would be fully in over my head, but it would be really yeah. exciting. And, and that would be a, I mean, I just remember that time. Shoot. I was yeah. in high school. Um, and, and like, yeah. yeah. So that would be a fascinating thing to be able to do. And what is it about pre-presidential Obama that excites you as opposed to presidential Obama? So I think it would be, you know, more interesting in the kind of lead up to the election because it would be, you know, it was a hus- It would be more of a hustle, more scrappy, and kind of this excitement. I think you know when I remember, I remember the the year you know leading up to it, and and just it was such a momentous time when mm-hmm. he was you know going up for election and and got elected, and it was so major. And I think like being part of the team that got to celebrate that would be really epic. And I'm sure also you know once you get to the White House, things things shift and move differently. And I think it would probably be a more authentic experience than, than probably some of the pre-established dynamics of how a president moves and how things get done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that doesn't, that makes sense. And it's, I think it's consistent with how you've shared what you care about throughout this whole conversation, which a lot of it is about authentic, genuine connection and, you know, yeah. supporting him really is as in his authentic self when he was campaigning yes. versus how he has to show up as the president. Those are two different things, right? Um, so yeah, that 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 that's consi- that feels consistent with with what. First of all, I'm I'm so up. thrilled. I'm so thrilled that 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 you've gotten all of that from these answers because that is very true to me, and I feel you're an excellent uh, prompter and truly the number one hype woman I've ever had. So, oh Taylor, you can take me in your pocket, (laughs) fit me in your purse, or whatever, (laughs) in your luggage. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, you're very easy to hype. Trust me, it's very, very oh, easy gosh, to to, to get you. behind you and and to be on to be on your team. So, um, thank you so much. I think this is such a wonderful, wonderful conversation, and I really appreciate you sharing, like all of you, right? Because I think it's really easy for people to look at someone like yourself and be like, oh. She's probably never screwed up. She's probably never made mistakes. She's got this. She's got that. She's done this. She's done that. And the reality is that, you know, you've had this really wonderful career and you've also learned along the way and you've made mistakes along the way and you're figuring it out. And, you know, I think that we're all figuring it out. Exactly. And, and I think if anything, this, this hopefully gives some people a little bit of, a boost in that sense where they're not, you know, it's, it's really starts with owning, owning yourself, owning what, who you yes, are, yes. being real with yourself and, you know, also forgiving yourself, giving yourself the space to screw up, le- learning how to recover from that. Like there's a lot of great th- things that we've talked about thematically today that I think are really, really valuable sound bites for people. And so, just like life too. Yeah. I'm yeah. grateful you, I'm grateful you took us in that direction too. Cause I just think it's so we're only here for, you know, a hundred years. If we, if we're lucky, we got to work for, you know, 60 of them. And it's just like, if you have to do something, you know, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. That's kind of a a quote I think Mm -hmm. about. And, and it's like, yeah, work is a thing we have to do Mm -hmm. unless you're incredibly lucky and then good for you. Um, But, you know, make it something that is aligned with like what you like to do and what works for you. And, and Mm -hmm. it just, yeah, that's I and and that's not every day. Every we everybody has bad days, and I certainly have my my slew of them too. So, you know, we're all figuring it out. And I think that's something I also realized is like, sure, I I and I again feel so blessed. And I was you know when I was supporting Parag specifically at, at Twitter, I was I was in over my head. I was like, what am I doing? Do I know how to do this? Mm-hmm. And you figure it out. And like everybody's just figuring it out. So. Exactly. Just, and those yeah, are the growing yeah. moments. I mean, if, if all you're ever doing is what you already know how to do, you're not, you're, you're not growing. Right, you're not stretching. Yeah. Yes. No, yes. not at all. Yes, not at exactly. all. And that's, and I think that's a very, that's another great takeaway is like, it's okay to be outside of your comfort zone, even this, you know, this far into your career or whatever. That's actually a good thing, right? I mean, that's, that's exactly See, where that's you want to be. Well, you do, yeah. Otherwise you're not growing, you're stagnant. Right. And I think like, yep. If you're not a little scared or a little over your skis, then like you right. probably could have stretched farther. Is, yep. is, is that, yep. yeah, that's how you grow. But anyway, yeah, I could, I could stay chatting with you all day. I know. I know. Me yeah. too. Let me tell you, it's very, it's very, very easy. You're intoxicating in that way. So oh, anyway, well, I have so enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for being a part of this conversation. Thank you for having me. This was so wonderful. I really appreciate the opportunity. Reach is brought to you by Maven Recruiting Group, who specializes in placing executive assistants and support staff to the Bay Area's most prominent executives and companies. If you've enjoyed being part of our podcast community and are interested in becoming part of our candidate community, we're currently hiring for roles in San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and Los Angeles. You can visit us at www.mavenrec.com to see some of the roles we're currently working on and to submit your resume.